You guys hear me? All right. It's a good one. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's start with prayer because I need it. Please pray for me and, uh, and with me. Lord, uh, thank you for this morning and, and orchestrating events to let this moment come about. Um, Father, please prepare our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. God, examine me. Um, clean up my motives, Lord, my, my intentions. Let me be clear. And uh, Lord, have your way with us this morning. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, good morning. I, I am Jeff Copeland. I'm one of the pastors at the Garage Church in Fresno. Um, you've probably heard of us a lot because, you know, we're here a lot uh, preaching to you. Patient was here a couple weeks ago. He's our lead pastor, um, and uh, I work with him. It is, it is great to be here. Uh, it's always good to be back at Flipside, see people I know, and um, I'm excited, excited for this morning. I was here back in chapter four, so now we're in chapter 14, so it's, it's coming to an end, guys. You guys are you're getting there, okay? John is long, and you're more than halfway. It's, it's going in, okay? You're going to get to the end of the series. It's a great series, though. And I'm grateful for the opportunity that Carl gave me to uh, continue it. Um, we are going to be in John 14, 1 through 14. You're going to need something, Bible, tablet, phone, open to that the whole time. We're going to be in there uh, the whole time. I'm not going to read the whole thing all at once. Um, instead, we'll go uh, verse by verse, line by line. And we'll see what the Holy Spirit is saying to us uh, through John. So please have that open. I'll give you a chance to get there. But as Carl said last week, and he preached a heck of a sermon last week. He gave me a lot to follow up. I was like, man, okay, appreciate it. Um, but he talked about how John chapters 13 through 17 are, number one, it's the longest block of teaching that we have from Jesus. It's one of the most important, it's up there with the Sermon on, Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7. There's a version of that in Luke. But this chunk of text, it's very large, 13 through 17, is probably the most important parts of Scripture if we want to understand Jesus, if we want to know who he is. He tells us a lot about him. He tells us a lot about what it means to follow him in this section. And I would argue that my little section here, 14, 1 through 14, is like the pivot of the entire thing. It's, it's like the most important part. This might be the most important central message to the entire series. Okay, so not to hype myself up, but uh, I kind of did. All right, so um, we're just going to go, like I said, line by line, and again, we'll see what the Spirit is saying to us. So starting uh, in verse 1 of John 14, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Your version might say, you believe in God. You should believe also in me. So we can stop here and notice that right away, Jesus gives us a command. We are commanded to do something. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, if this is a command, that means it's something that we have control over, which kind of sucks. Okay, because, you know, it's just like when Jesus told us to love your enemies or love your neighbors or love one another. 
Our culture thinks that love is just, it just happens to you. You can't control it. I just, we just fell in love. But love is actually a command. You have control over who you love, right? Same thing here. I am commanded not to let my heart be troubled, okay? So I have to ask myself every day, am I allowing the world, you know, news and politics and economy and finances and my job and sickness, am I allowing these things to trouble my heart? Because Jesus told me, don't let your heart be troubled. Okay? So, uh, how? how? How do I not let my heart be troubled, Jesus? Well, he says, you believe in God, you should also believe in me. Now, he's talking to his disciples. They have been with him for over three years at this point in the story. Right? They've been when they've seen him do a ton of things, heal people, walk on water, you know, feed 5,000 people with fish sandwiches. Like, it's been amazing, okay? So they should have a reason to believe in him. He says, you believe in God, you should also believe in me. This will help your heart not be troubled. But I have to ask, what is the goal of the Christian life? Very small question. Um, what is the point? Why are we Christian? What is the end goal of being a Christian? What would you guys say? Go to heaven. Go to have heard. I heard that first service. That's good. That's what I was expecting you to say. Good job. Okay. Don't worry. Listen, there's no wrong answer. It's fine. Just, no, it's, it's fine. You guys are good. Okay. You said the right thing. Okay. Most Christians would answer, go to heaven or get to heaven. Right. And that's not wrong, but Jesus gives us an actually a better answer in verses two through three. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. So I'm going, he just told me, if you guys look in chapter 13, he just told them, I'm going somewhere you guys can't go. And now he's saying, I'm going somewhere, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. Okay? So what? What does he say at the end? So you can be with me. The point of the Christian life is to be with Jesus. It's not to go to heaven. Personally, I don't really care where he's going to be for eternity. I just want to be there with him. Now think about it. If the end goal is to go to heaven, our hearts are going to be troubled because we can't experience that right now. We can't taste that. I have no idea. If you've experienced heaven, we got to talk after service. Meet me out. and We're going to talk because I would love to know what it's like. Okay, but we've never experienced heaven. But if the goal is to be with Jesus, we can experience that right now, today. I thought you guys would be more excited about that. I don't know. I, that's really a really cool thing. We get to experience being with Jesus right now on this side of eternity. That's amazing. That will keep my heart from being troubled. If I remember that that's the goal, well, I can do that right now. I can experience Jesus right now. Right? Through the Holy Spirit, which you guys will get to next week, hopefully. Um, now, I have to stop here and say, 
the, the next verses I'm going to read are like really well known, like Christian bumper sticker, Christian t-shirt type of verses, which is really hard to preach because people are like, oh, I've already heard this. Okay. And I do that all the time. I mean, I've heard this. Okay. So I, I, I ask you to not do that, to refrain from that temptation. Hopefully we can actually get something fresh out of these, not new, but fresh out of these verses. So, um, The goal is to be with Jesus. Then Thomas, one of the 12, speaks up. Okay, he asks, he said, oh, hold on, I have a question. Because in verse four, Jesus says, you know the way to where I am going. You guys know where I'm going? I'm I'm going this way. You guys know how to get there, right? You know where I'm going? All right, I'll see you there. And Thomas goes, uh, no, I don't even know where you're going. How can I know how how to get there? I don't even know where you're going. You didn't even tell us where you're going. You said you're going somewhere. We can't go. Now you're saying we know how to get there. I don't know how to get there. What are you talking about? Now, what Thomas is actually asking is like a central question that all humans actually have. It's, it's, a, it's a human level problem. His real question is, what do we have to do to be with God in heaven? What do I have to actually do? How do I make God happy enough to let me into heaven? Now think about it, the Jews have had the law at this point for thousands of years. They've been trying to keep the law. This is the way to make God happy in their mind. And it's, it, it's not enough. It's not working. Nobody can do it perfectly. Nobody can keep the law perfectly. Jesus has already demonstrated to this point that it's not enough. It doesn't do it. So Thomas is like, what do we have to do then? What do I, what boxes do I have to check to get into heaven, to be with God? That's his real question. And that is such a a heavy question that all of us actually have. We're all trying to do the right thing. We're all trying to be enough for God to let us in. So Jesus answers verse 6. And again, verse 6 is very famous. And we have to look at this verse two ways. Jesus says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, there are two very important ways to view this verse. The first one is the hard one, which is Christianity is exclusive. We believe in exclusive faith. Now, to be fair, every single religion on the earth is exclusive, right? Islam is exclusive, Buddhism is exclusive, Hinduism is exclusive, Sikhism is exclusive. But Christianity is the only one that gets in trouble for being exclusive. You Christians are so exclusive. You're so not letting people in. You don't welcome anybody. You have all these rules. Everybody does. We're not any different, right? Our culture rejects the idea of being exclusive. They say things like, all roads lead to God. Do whatever you want. I'm spiritual, not religious, right? This is a very common saying, okay? They hate hearing, no, actually, there's only one way to God. We have to wrestle with the fact that we believe in exclusive faith. There is only one way to heaven. Jesus says the road is narrow and few will find it. We have to deal with this saying of Jesus. He wasn't just a good teacher or a good person. He is the only way to God period. Okay, this is really hard for especially my Gen Z people like, 
your friends don't want to hear this. The world does not want to hear this. But unfortunately, this is the truth. He is the only way. There is only one way. One of my best friends, man, since like second grade, he is a Sikh. He's, he's, a, he's, he's from India. And love him to death. If he doesn't believe in Jesus, he's not going. No matter how much I love him, no matter how much, you know, we spend time together, no matter how much good of a person he is, if he doesn't, there's only one way. That's it. And I have to say, you're not a Christian if you don't believe that. It hurts to say that to today's generation. That's what makes the second view so vital. The way to God is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. This is comforting to both Thomas and to us. His question of what do I have to do to make God happy? You don't have to do anything. Before Jesus came, the only way to God was the law. That's why Thomas claims to, I don't know the way, because you just said the law is not going to do it. So I actually don't know the way to God. Jesus has proved that the law could not get us there because no one could follow it. Instead of having to do things, we just need to know a person. Imagine that. I just need to know the right person. It's not what you know, it's who you know. I tell my students that all the time. Be nice to everybody because you don't know who's going to give you a job one day. It's not, not what you know, it's who you know. As long as we know the right person, we get in. There's a, a very famous clip going on the internet right now uh, by this pastor, Alistair Begg, and he's talking about the thief on the cross. If you don't know the story, Jesus is on the cross, he's in the middle, there's a guy to his, I think it's his right, and he's a thief, and he's getting crucified with Jesus, and Jesus tells him, today you will be with me in paradise. And so the pastor goes on to say, you know, when the guy gets to the gates of heaven, the people are like, man, what are you doing here? He's like, they're like, have you, you know, been baptized? He's like, no. Have you, do you believe these right doctrines? He's like, no. You, have you served in church? He's like, no. What are you doing here? That guy said I could come. That Jesus guy, he said I could come. I'm like, oh, okay, come on in. As long as you know the right person, that's all it takes. The way to God is simple. When he says, I am the way, that is actually comforting. Oh, thank God. All I got to do is know you. And here's the cool thing. It's a relationship. It's not about doing anything. And the person that we have to know, he's loving, he's kind, he's compassionate, he's humble, he's spirit-filled, he's sacrificial, and he's healing, and he's a savior. All I have to do is know him and follow him. I could stop right there and say, man, what a great message. Let's continue, though, because you know, we got to get to chat, uh, verse 14. And there's more to say here. So, Verse 7, Jesus says this. If you know me, you will also know my father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In other words, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Now, if that's true, that changes how I'm supposed to live my life. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a good guy. He is God. I have to deal with that. I have to either accept that or reject it. There's no in between. Jesus is God. If anybody tells you Jesus wasn't God, 
He is. He said in verse 7. Just say, just show him this. Like, well, actually, he's, he's God. Okay? Now, then another disciple speaks up. Philip. And uh, I love what Philip says because, like, I can imagine him thinking, like, this is going to score me some points. Like, Jesus is going to give me a high five for this one. Like, I, this is the greatest answer you could give in church. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. Like, yeah, here it comes. Thanks, Jesus. Yeah, I'm not good. And, and that's not how it goes. Okay? So, yes, he's trying to score points, but at the same time, he has the correct desire. To want to see the Father is the correct desire. Even Moses had this, this. Moses tells God, I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. And God's like, you can't see it, bro. I'll show you a little bit, but you can't see it. But every human should want to see God face to face. And here's the thing. Every single human being on this planet, their deepest desire, not their strongest desire all the time, but their deepest desire is, to, is intimacy with God. Everyone desires intimacy with God. I don't care what you believe. I don't care if you say you're an atheist. Every single person on this planet desires intimacy with God. To prove that, everybody wants to be fully known and accepted. Everybody wants that. You want to have somebody fully, completely know you. That's what intimacy is. It's to be completely known, the good and the bad of me, and yet you still accept me. Everybody wants that. The problem is only one being in the entire universe can actually do that, and it's God. So everybody desires intimacy with God. I don't care what they say. That's the truth. So Philip's claim, what he's asking for, is actually a good desire. But man, Jesus' response is terrifying. It still shakes me to my core to this day when I read what he says in verses 9 through 11, Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. You've, you've been with me for three years, bro. You've seen me what I can do. You've seen me feed people with fish sandwiches, man. Like you've seen me walk on water. You've seen me heal the blind and the sick. If you're not going to believe because of me, at least believe because of what you've seen me do. But you've been with me this whole time and you still don't know me? Listen. I grew up in church. I'm 34 years old. I'm coming up on three decades of being in church, but I've only known Jesus for a few years. I would say if I'm nice to myself, I'll give myself about six or seven years of actually knowing Jesus. The thing is, proximity and routine are deceptive. Some of you guys have probably been in church for a very long time. You've been coming week after week. I've probably missed church when I was a kid, like five times in like years, and I had good reasons for missing, so don't judge me, okay? But like I was at every Wednesday, 
I mean, I sang in the church children's choir. I cannot sing at all, okay? I mean, I did, I checked all the boxes. I did all of the church stuff. I was very close to Jesus. I was in proximity, but I didn't know him. I did the routine. I did all the stuff. I went to Sunday school, but I didn't know him. If you're new to following Jesus, you actually have an advantage because you don't have a bunch of stuff you have to unlearn. I had to unlearn a lot of things. We can become too familiar with God. You get used to hearing sermons and singing songs and taking communion. You get used to these things. It stops being a relationship. You're checking boxes. We are with Jesus without knowing him. We do things for him without knowing him. He says, in, in, I think in Matthew, people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons and do all these things? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what routine. I don't care if you've been in church for 80 years. You were born on the pulpit. I don't care. You never knew me. So get away from me. You didn't want me. You wanted the things you could get from me. Right? If people are saying, I want to go to heaven, I want to go to hell. Do you want heaven for God or just you just want heaven? He's saying, do you want me for me? This is a relationship. Do you want to actually get to know me? Don't just check off boxes. This is a relationship. And it's not just an individual relationship. We can know him together. This is Colossians 1. It's a few verses from there. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So we can't see the Father, but we have this, this person who is him, which is Jesus. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is way deeper than coming to church every Sunday and singing songs. It's, it's deeper than that. It's about all of us getting to know him. Okay? Now, I think Jesus got tired of his disciples talking, so he's like, let me just start teaching you guys again. Okay, so verse 12, he says, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Now, what works could possibly be greater than what Jesus did? I've never healed anybody, okay? Never walked on water, never multiplied fish sandwiches. Like, I've never done this. What does he mean I'm going to do stuff greater than him? I can't, I'm not greater than Jesus. What are you talking about, Jesus? But think about it. What is the greatest thing that we can do? It's help people believe and repent and follow Jesus without seeing him. None of us have seen Jesus, yet we believe, right? I'll explain why that in a little bit, but helping people to follow Jesus is a miracle. You are, if you are helping to disciple somebody, to repent of their sins, to believe that Jesus died for them, you are literally doing a work greater than what Jesus did. That's what he's talking about. 
He's actually encouraging us to do what he's called us to do. And he's saying that is an amazing work. Don't think that's small. It's not small. It's huge. Even if you help one person have a relationship with Jesus, that is literally a work, a great work. That's what he's telling us. Carl, uh, next week, he'll talk about the Holy Spirit, which is in verse 15. The Holy Spirit is, let me try to explain this. We have our relationship with Jesus through the Spirit. Again, none of us have seen Jesus, but we, we can have a relationship because we have the Holy Spirit. And that's the bridge between us and him until he comes again. So this is, this is so beautiful. Like We can have a relationship with Jesus. We can help other people have a relationship with Jesus through the Spirit. And that is a miracle. That's what he's talking about. You should not feel like, I can't do anything. I can't preach. I can't do this. I can't do that. You can help somebody know Jesus. And that's a miracle. You're literally a miracle worker if you do that. Now, um, last two verses and we can wrap this up. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, these verses have gotten people in a lot of trouble, okay? God is not a genie. He's not a fairy godmother. What is he saying here, right? What do we, when we, we say in my name or, or in Jesus' name, that's how we end our prayers usually. I, I did it myself up here. I said, in Jesus' name, amen. We do that all the time. What do we mean by that? What do we mean by in my name? Are they like the magic words that like in the prayer, they're like, they sat like hitting the sin button so God gets the message? You didn't say in my name, amen. I didn't get the message. Is, like, what do we, why do we keep doing? Why do we do this? A better way to understand in my name should be according to my character. According to who I am, who you know me to be. It's not just the magic words at the end of our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. It's actually a reminder to us to align ourselves with his heart and character. It's about submitting our desires and plans to him. Saying in your name we pray or in Jesus' name we pray, amen, is not for him, it's for us. I need to tell myself, whatever I am asking you, God, if it doesn't line up with who you are, with your character, don't even listen to me. I can't say, God, just give me a new Ferrari in Jesus' name, amen, and expect it to, like, if it's not according to his character, I should not expect a yes. But if I say something like, God, help me talk to this person and tell them about you, give me the words to say, in your name I pray, amen, I should expect something to happen, because that is actually according to his character, okay? People would do things in the name of the king. I come in the name of the king. That's what he's saying, in my name. You, when you go before people in my name, you are representing who I am. That should actually change how we pray and what we pray for, right? That's what he's saying here. I'm trying to bend my desires to his. So it's reminding me of what I'm praying for. It's not trying to get him to do whatever I want him to do. Okay, so all of this is great. Carl taught last week about saying yes to God while we still have the ability to choose because eventually we forfeit our ability to say yes. That is entirely true. 
I love that he brought that up. It's, it's really important, especially in today's day and age. God is asking me, he's reaching out to me, he's calling me to do things. If I say no, eventually I won't be able to say yes. If I keep saying no, you're hardening your heart, as Carl was talking about last week. This, there's actually a term for this, it's called spiritual formation. And spiritual formation is not a Christian thing, it's a human thing. Everybody on earth is being formed spiritually. Something is forming you. Most people, it's this, and TikTok, not great, okay? But everybody's being formed into someone. The question is, who are you being formed into? Why does any of this matter? Like, this, all the stuff I've been talking about, what, what is the point? Why are we doing this? What is God doing, like, big picture? Okay, I get saved. I believe in Jesus. Why does God not just, okay, good, take me up to heaven and call it a day? Why does he leave us here? To live this life. What are we, what is he doing? How does the story of humanity like even end? Where is this all going? Let me point you to Revelation 21, 1 through 6. I'm gonna get really excited because I love these verses, so just bear with me. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. Oof. And he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to thirsty, those who are thirsty from the spring of living life. This is Jesus talking at the end. Oh, man. Heaven and earth will be made new and combined, and we will be with God, and he will be with us. See, we don't actually go to heaven. Heaven comes here. Think about it. When Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, where is that place? Where is it at? It's in the new city. It's in Jerusalem, which is coming here. He's going to take us into there, and he will be with us. Now, if that doesn't make you excited, I, I, nothing I can do. I can't, I can't do it, okay? It gets better, though. Maybe this will do it. This is 22, 3 through 5. And there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. We will get to see him face to face. Right? Like, right now we have the Holy Spirit. We can taste God. We can have a relationship with God. But then we will have, like, the highest concentration of God possible. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all there with us. It's going to be amazing. And he says, night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp 
or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light. And here's the key. And they will reign forever and ever. Not just he will reign. They will reign. We are the they. Wait, what? We are the they. To reign with Jesus, we need to become people capable of reigning. Think about that. The end goal is to reign with Jesus. We need to become people capable of reigning by saying yes to God right now while we still can. Our goal as a church is not just to gather, it's to disciple. We can't just show up Sunday after Sunday. Remember, do we know him or are we just coming, or are we just in proximity? Or are we just doing the routine? Is this a relationship or is this something where we're just a box that we're checking? The question is, will we be significantly more like Jesus in 10 years? Not, will our church be bigger? Will we have a nicer building? Will we have, you know, more? Will we be more like Jesus? That is the only question we have to answer. The goal is to be with him. Now, listen, I have absolutely no idea what reigning with God is going to look like. I don't think anybody does. If any theologian or pastor anybody tells you that, they don't know because he doesn't tell us. All I do know is that right now I need to be spiritually formed and become like Jesus. Every decision that I make, everything that I do is either making me more like Jesus or less like Jesus. Either I'm scrolling TikTok or uh, I keep talking TikTok, but like I have to be conscious of saying yes to God or am I saying no to God? Because eventually I won't, I'll be so deformed, my heart will be so hardened, I won't be able to say yes. Right now I have the ability. We, we need to become like him. So my final thoughts are this. Oh, Josh, it's my son, sorry. The goal is to be with God, not just go to heaven. I have to keep that in mind. The goal is to be with God you, Jesus, not just get to heaven in the end. Don't just be next to Jesus. Get to know him. This is a relationship. It's not a box that we check to feel good. Am I getting to know you, Jesus? If you haven't ever, you've been in church your whole life and you've never thought about this. Ask him right now, God, I want to get to know you. Reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I want to become more like you so that I can be ready to rule with you, whatever that looks like in eternity. And we're going to be living in these physical, embodied, like, lives. It's not going to be us floating on clouds, playing harps with wings. and That's not in here, okay? Because right now, Jesus is living a physical, embodied life right now at the right hand of the Father as we speak, waiting to come back. He has a physical body, and we will too as well at the end. Am I getting to know him? And... Say yes to God be, and to become like Jesus right now. If you've been saying no your whole life, start saying yes right now. Start saying yes right now. You are being formed every day. What are you being formed into? What are you allowing to form you? What are you allowing to form you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your son making it possible for us 
to have a relationship with you, even desiring to have a relationship with us, even when we don't deserve it. Thank you for trying to make us more like you so that we can become the fullest version of ourselves possible, so that we can be with you, Lord. Thank you for wanting to be with us face to face. Father, help us to get to know you. Help us not to just be around you or to be near you. Help us to get to know you. That has always been your desire. Help it become our desire. Father, fill us with your love, with your presence, with your compassion. Help us to go out and do the works that you call us to do, which is help people know you and follow you. God, we love you so much. And it is in your name, according to your character, that we pray. Amen. Amen.